If you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of John, John's Gospel. We're back in John's Gospel after a few-week hiatus, and we're going to be looking at the last section of the first chapter, specifically verses 43 to 51. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word, for the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient, and the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. John chapter 1, beginning at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Lord, we ask this morning that you would open your word up to us. That as we study your word, we would be changed. We would be made more and more into the image of our Savior. We would be drawn ever closer to Jesus. And that in doing so, we would give you all the glory. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, as I said, we are back in John after a few weeks off. And John is now continuing to describe for us the initial ministry of Jesus. The first week of his public ministry. John does this intentionally, not just so that we can know the facts about what Jesus has done, but so that we can know more about Jesus. At the center of this passage is a call that we would do well to listen to. It's what Philip says to Nathaniel. He says to him, Come and see. Come and see Jesus. Come to Jesus and see who he is. And so that's what I'd like us to see this morning. First, I'd like us to come to Jesus. And then second, I would like us to see the Jesus that we come to. Let's begin by looking at Jesus, the one 
who seeks you. Now Jesus' first week of ministry here is continuing. And following the great prologue of the first 18 verses, we now have the start of his ministry. John the Baptist introduced Jesus to us as the Lamb of God. And then Jesus called his first two disciples, Andrew and John. And then the next day, Andrew brings Peter to Jesus. And now again in verse 43, the next day again, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Now there is much at first glance, if we read this passage quickly, that is hidden here. We might ask ourselves, why did Jesus go to Galilee? What made him decide to pick this place? And again, if we read quickly, we'll miss some significance. There's a sense in which we don't know why Jesus went to Galilee. Because John's narrative in this entire chapter is short and it's abbreviated. John doesn't give us the entirety of all of the conversations that were had. He doesn't give us all of the details. He just gives us the centerpieces, if you will. And so if we aren't careful, we're going to hurry on and miss what's going on. We might think, for example, that Jesus had some unimportant reason to go to Galilee, and he just happened to bump into Philip. Now, the first thing I have to tell you is, Jesus didn't just happen to do anything. He's God. Everything that Jesus did had purpose. And that's, I think, what the text helps to show us, that Jesus made a purposeful decision to go to Galilee. And when he went there, he found Philip. Now, don't let the quickness of this recap hide it for you. The word found here in this chapter is very emphatic. John uses it over and over again. We have Andrew finding Simon when he went looking for him. And then we have Andrew telling Simon Peter that they had found the Messiah, Jesus. And then later, in addition to this verse, in verse 45, Philip will find Nathanael. And he'll tell him that they have found the one that they're looking for. Over and over again, we have this verb, found. It implies a seeking out, an intentionality. This is not random. This is not just Jesus bumping into Philip and saying, well, I guess he's as good as anyone else to make my disciple. He happens to be here. Come on, Philip, follow me. No. Jesus intentionally sought out Philip. He found him, and he made him a disciple. And John tells us something else that's interesting about Philip that adds to this. Philip was from the same city as Andrew and Peter. But you'll notice Jesus didn't leave it up to Andrew and Peter to tell Philip about Jesus. Jesus doesn't even need Andrew and Peter to find Philip. He finds him himself. Jesus goes out of his way to go to a different place entirely to find Philip. Everything Jesus does is purposeful. There is nothing random. We have to remember that Jesus is God. 
And that applies also here to his calling of the disciples. This is not exempt from the sovereign purpose of God. No, it is a part of it. Often, we think of Jesus as being sovereign over almost everything. Over nature. Over events. We pray to the Lord Jesus Christ about any number of things. We know that the Bible tells us that Jesus has numbered the hairs on our head. That nothing surprises Jesus. Except, perhaps, salvation. Then we think it's up to us to seek out Jesus. That we are the ones in charge here. But this little story reminds us that we are not in charge. Jesus is. He's the one who found Philip. And that doesn't mean, however, that our actions do not matter. We see this in the next verse, in verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip goes and finds Nathanael. Again, that same word over and over again. So from Philip's perspective, he has seen someone remarkable, unique, and he has to spread the news. But we see from Jesus' perspective that all of this is foreknown and planned. Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Jesus decided to find Philip. Jesus already knew Nathanael. We know that from verse 48. This is not a surprise to Jesus. He is aware of all of this. The Bible tells us that God knows the number of hairs on your head. And so let me tell you, if you go home this afternoon and get out some tweezers and pull out a few hairs, you're not going to shock God. He's not unaware. He's not surprised by anything. He's sovereign over all things. Remember that Jesus is God. He doesn't need luck. He doesn't need chance. This is all by design. But yet at the same time, Jesus' design does not make Philip a robot. It doesn't deny Philip his humanity. Now, how does that work? I don't know. We don't exactly know. John doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us that here. But what he does tell us is that both of these things were true. That Jesus decided and found Philip and Nathanael. And that Philip eagerly sought out Nathanael to tell him the good news of the gospel. You see, Jesus' sovereignty does not relieve you of your responsibility. Jesus is the one seeking here in John. But do you also notice that while Jesus is the seeker, John keeps emphasizing over and over again in this chapter the importance of our witness for Jesus. John the Baptist witnessed for Jesus. Andrew witnessed for Jesus. Philip witnessed for Jesus. They didn't just sit around and wait for things to work out. No, they had found the Savior, and they could not wait to tell others. Our confession of faith puts it this way. God, from all eternity, did by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will, 
freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. God is completely sovereign. There is no restriction on God. Yet, so as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. What the confession is saying here is that God is sovereign over all things. There's nothing God doesn't know. There's nothing that surprises God. There's nothing that's outside of His plan. And yet, that doesn't take away the will of man. It doesn't take away the responsibility of men and women. Those second causes, that liberty, that contingency, is not taken away, it is established. Now again, how can we explain this logically? We can't. You see, we are the ones with the fall in logic. We think it has to be one way or the other. Either God has no sovereignty and we have to have free will, or otherwise, God has sovereignty and we're all robots, not responsible. But the Bible gives us these two truths. And just because in our fall in logic, we cannot reconcile them, does not make them both biblically true. And I have good news for you. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, if you are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, when you are taken up into glory and ushered into the presence of God, you will know the answer to this. All sin will be taken away. Your mind will be as it was designed to be. You will not be restricted in any way. But until that day, we have to come to the Scriptures and acknowledge their truth and bow before them. But next, the plot gets interesting. In each of Jesus' previous encounters, they were very brief. John doesn't give us a full account of the discussion that Jesus had with Andrew or with Peter or even with Philip. Now, we do get a bit more background about Nathaniel. Who is Nathaniel? Well, obviously, he is a friend of Philip's. Because as soon as Philip meets Jesus, the first thing he does is he goes and he runs to find Nathanael, his buddy. Later in this gospel, chapter 21, John tells us that Nathanael is from another small town in Galilee called Cana. We'll learn a little bit more about Cana when we go to visit a wedding there next week. But in all of the lists of the apostles, there's something interesting. Nathanael doesn't show up. In Matthew chapter 10, Mark 3, in Luke 6, the name Nathanael doesn't appear. So, so what's going on here? Well, I think the answer is found in each of those lists. Philip is linked with another man. It's always Philip and Bartholomew. Each of the lists makes it clear that these two men are together. They're friends, they're buddies. And so you may ask, well, who's Bartholomew and where's Nathanael? And I think the answer is yes. They're the same. Nathaniel is very likely his first name. And Bartholomew is simply his family name. If you've ever heard of a bar mitzvah, that means the son of the commandment. You remember Jesus calling Peter Simon bar Jonah. That is the son of Jonah. Well, Nathaniel is bar Ptolemaeus. 
Bartholomew, the son of Ptolemaeus. That's who he is. He's from this small town in Galilee. And we learn more about Nathanael as Jesus interacts with him. But for now, Philip runs up in verse 45 to Nathanael, out of breath, and he says, We found him! We found him! Now you can imagine the excitement in his voice. I like to imagine Philip running up breathless and between big gasps of air saying, We, we found him! The, the one that Moses, in the law, and, and the prophets, the ones that they all spoke of. He can't get the words out fast enough. He's so excited. Now, Philip describes Jesus a bit differently than Andrew does to Peter. He doesn't specifically call him the Messiah, but he does after a fashion. You see, he tells him that Jesus is the one that Moses in the law and the prophets wrote about. Now, what does that mean? That means that all of the scriptures speak of Jesus. You see, when in Jesus' day they spoke of the law and the prophets, that was shorthand for all of what we call the Old Testament. All of the Bible that Philip had, he's saying, speaks about Jesus. He's saying this is the one whom the scriptures predicted, that Moses talked about in Deuteronomy 18, that the Psalms testify to as the king of kings, that Isaiah spoke of as the suffering servant, that Jeremiah spoke of as the author of the new covenant, that Ezekiel spoke of as the one who would establish the throne of God and the temple for all eternity. You can see why Philip is excited. Everything we've been waiting for is here now. Now, let me stop here for just a moment. Do you read the scriptures looking for what God will tell you? looking for his promises, his blessings. Because that's what Philip did. And guess what resulted from that? He found Jesus. He found joy. He found hope. The same is true today. The Bible is the place for you to find that. That's because the Bible tells you about Jesus. Now, Nathaniel's response to Jesus is, or excuse me, to Philip, is interesting. Philip starts with this big build-up. And then he says, we found the one that we're looking for. His name is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, first, we have to understand what that would sound like to Nathaniel. It would ring in his ears differently than we hear it. You see, we hear the names Jesus and Nazareth and Joseph, and we are struck by them. They're special words. They're Bible words. But they wouldn't have been to Nathaniel. You see, Jesus was a very common name. Yeshua or Joshua. Even Joseph would have been a very common name. This would be like someone running up to you, all excited, trying to impress you and say, you're not going to believe it, we found Tom. You know, you know Bill's son. And, and he's from this place, this place that nobody's ever heard of, that the Bible doesn't talk about. That's where he's from. Because you see, Nazareth was a tiny place. It was 
perhaps about 500 people. You couldn't even have called it a city. And it's interesting that Jesus comes from Nazareth so that Jesus is not the Bethlehemite, which would ring bells in our ears. He's the Nazarite, which doesn't do anything to us from the Old Testament. It's kind of like places out here in East Texas. We, we had a, uh, a men's retreat uh, outside Brenham this weekend. And I had uh, the privilege of driving our speaker, uh, Pastor Harry Reeder, back to the airport, driving through a place, you know, driving through the highways and places. And we went through one town, and Harry looked at me and he said, oh, what town is this that we just went through? And I got a little sheepish and I said, I have no idea. It's like a small East Texas town. I don't even know what the name of it is. Only took us but a couple of minutes to drive through, right? You know places like that. doesn't matter where you're from. That's Nazareth. It's Nowheresville. And so Nathaniel responds in verse 46. He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, I think there is, from what some historians tell us, there is a bit of a rivalry here between Cana and Nazareth. Now, it's not exactly UT and A&M. It's more like two small high school rivals of small towns. There's a little bit of a rivalry there, but I think even more, it's not that Nazareth is a, a bad place. It's as if Nathaniel's saying, no one even knows where Nazareth is. How could anything significant come from a place so small? That's what he's saying. He's essentially saying, what's the big deal here, Philip? Maybe that's your response to Jesus. Or maybe you've seen it the way someone responds to you about Jesus. Why do people make such a big fuss over Jesus? There's so many important things going on today. Why should I pay attention to a 2,000-year-old account of a man who lived halfway around the world? Why should that command my attention? Well, if that's the case, you need to listen up then. Because John is going to give you an answer as to why this is so significant. But you still need to see that Jesus' seeking is behind all of this. That is the come. Remember, Jesus found Philip. Jesus knew Philip knew Nathaniel. In just a minute, we're going to see that Jesus knew Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's skepticism did not stop Jesus. You see, Jesus could have responded, can anything good come out of Nazareth with, well, if that's the way you're going to be about it, hit the road, Jack. I don't need to put up with this. That's how Jesus could have responded. But instead, we see Jesus continuing to pursue Nathaniel. Even when Nathaniel isn't sure it's worth the encounter, Jesus is pursuing him. And Jesus' pursuit here is through Philip's simple statement. Come, see. This is a great lesson for us. Because when we have opportunities to talk to others about Jesus, it will raise questions, even objections to them. So what will we do then? How do we assault 
the fortress of unbelief? Often the answer is, we don't. We simply say, come and see. See what Jesus is all about. See who Jesus is. Well, the second thing that we come to this morning in the text is the second part of Philip's statement. See. See this Jesus that we come to. And Jesus is primarily here for us, the one who knows you. Jesus is in control here. Just in case you forgot that or you were doubting, Jesus makes that clear. Nathaniel thinks he's the one in control. He's the skeptic. He's the one who needs to be persuaded. I often just imagine Nathaniel formulating all of the questions he's going to stump Jesus with. Well, Jesus, how does Isaiah 40 apply? Well, what about Jeremiah 33? What about Psalm 24? What about Genesis 28, or 12, or 15? Explain this to me if you're such a big deal, you guy from the big city. But the thing about it is, that's often our posture. We want to be in control of the situation. And that includes matters of eternal life and death. But what we see here is Jesus controlling the discussion. Before Nathaniel can even come up and ask a single question, before he can point out that Nazareth is nowheresville, before he can ask, what's the big deal with all these claims Philip is making? Jesus reaches out to him. And he does so in a way that's hard for us to see. Now Jesus obviously knows Nathaniel from the reaction that Nathaniel gives and from what little we know from this passage. Nathaniel is not someone who's easily impressed. We already see that. His friend comes and all excited tells him, we found the one that the whole scriptures speak of. And his response is kind of like, not really sure that's the case. You know, there's no excitement there in Nathaniel. His blood pressure is not raised. He's skeptical. And so, he's a man who tells it like he sees it. He didn't even try and encourage Philip. Oh, I'm so glad you had this wonderful encounter, Philip. Tell me all about it. No, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Are you crazy, Philip? And it's interesting that that's exactly what Jesus says in verse 47, he says, Nathanael, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. He says, Nathanael, I know you. You're a stand-up guy. You're a straight shooter. You don't beat around the bush. You don't want to be tricked. You want the whole truth and nothing but the truth right now. Now, there is a measure of irony here because he says, an Israelite indeed. Truly, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now, you know who Israel is, right? Israel is one of the patriarchs. Israel is Jacob, that God renamed Israel. Now stop and take a step back. Do you know why Jacob was called Jacob? Jacob means the trickster, the deceiver. 
you know, that's all Jacob did. We're told that as he's coming out the womb, Jacob is trying to trick and supplant his brother. And then he steals his brother's blessing by tricking his father into thinking that he's the one who's made the meal. And then when he's off, he tries to trick Laban because Laban tricked him into withholding his beloved Rachel. And then on his way back, when he knows his brother Esau is coming and he fears an attack, he plans this elaborate ruse of how he's going to send all of the camp. He's trying to trick Esau into being nice. That's who Jacob is. And so Jesus says, behold, one of the tricksters in whom there is no trickery. There's no stronger way that Jesus could have said this. He uses this intentionally to show he knows exactly the kind of person Nathaniel is. Jesus hasn't even met him yet. And he knows him so deeply. Well, true to form, Nathaniel is skeptical. His response in verse 48 is, well, how do you know me? He may be thinking, I wonder if Philip tipped him off that we were coming. I wonder if he sent a runner on in advance. And this gives Jesus another opening to show us who he is. He says to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, we don't know why Jesus picked this particular fact or why John chose this particular sentence to record in God's word. We don't know what Nathaniel was doing under that fig tree. But we do know that it had a profound effect upon him. Because as soon as Jesus says that, Nathaniel's response is to give one of the fullest and greatest confessions in all of the Bible concerning Jesus. It's right up there with Peter in Matthew 16. He says, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Now on the one hand, we don't and really can't know why Nathaniel reacts this way. But on the other hand, we should know. What Jesus said made Nathaniel know that he was fully known by Jesus. He knows Philip's name. He knows what Nathaniel was doing. And more than that, Nathaniel knows what he was doing. So maybe Nathaniel was sitting under the fig tree reading the prophet Isaiah about the Messiah to come. Maybe he was sitting under the fig tree reading from Deuteronomy 18 about the prophet that would be like unto Moses that God would send and Israel would hear. We don't know, but whatever it was that he was doing, it was significant enough that this was not just a, I saw you in the shade. This is, I know you to the core of your being. That's why Nathaniel responds this way. Jesus saw him completely. Do you know that all that you are and all that you do is known by Jesus? There's no hiding from Jesus. And that means there's no reason to pretend. Jesus knows the worst about you. And yet, he still offers himself to you. Jesus knows the depth of your greatest need. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. You need to stop running from Jesus. You need to run 
to Jesus. Well, Jesus concludes this discussion about himself with a further insight into who he is. In verse 50, Jesus continues to confront Nathanael. This is one of those verses where I think as your pastor, I give you permission to mildly chuckle as you read it. Because Jesus says, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. Jesus says, if you think that is impressive, you haven't seen anything yet. Now, Jesus' knowledge of Nathanael is so good that it is enough to convince him that Jesus is the Son of God and the King of Israel. And he says, you're going to see even more than that. Now, what kind of greater things does Jesus mean here? Greater miracles? Greater insight into who people are? Yes, but I think there's more than that. Jesus, in his next words, highlights two Old Testament passages. The first is Genesis chapter 28. It's the story of Jacob. And Jacob is out in the wilderness, and he is so tired. He's as tired as he's ever been. He's more tired than you will ever be. How do I know that? He's so tired, he pulls up a rock for a pillow. Not the ground, not his cloak, not even some mud. A rock to put his head on. I don't care what's the worst bed you've ever slept on. It is not a rock for a pillow. That's how tired he is. And he goes into a deep sleep, because that's what you do when you're that tired. And he has a dream. And in the dream, there is a ladder connecting heaven and earth. And the angels are ascending and descending. That language should now be very familiar to you. If it's not, look at verse 51. The angels are ascending and descending on this ladder. The Lord stood above the ladder, and Jacob was on the earth. And it was at that time that the Lord gave Jacob his promise. It was a connection between heaven and earth, between the blessing of God and the recipient of man. What Jesus is saying here is, I am that ladder. I am the bridge between heaven and earth. And what that means is, you don't need to make a ladder. You don't need to find a ladder to get to heaven. Jesus is that ladder. Now, how do we know that Jesus is the ladder? Well, there's a second passage that Jesus alludes to here. It's Daniel chapter 7. It's when he says, The angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, when we hear Jesus say the Son of Man, which is, by the way, Jesus' favorite way to refer to himself, we think Jesus is highlighting his humanity. I'm a Son of Man, a Son of Adam. A son of David. But it's actually the opposite. This title highlights Jesus' deity. And it takes us back to Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, we see the Ancient of Days reigning on a throne. In verse 9, I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head was pure like wool. The throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. 
And a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court said in judgment, and the books were opened. That's the Ancient of Days. But then in verse 13 we read, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So the Son of Man is a divine figure. In light of the New Testament, it's the second person of the Trinity. It is Jesus the Son of Man, that he refers himself to as in verse 51. Jesus says that the angels are on ascending and descending the Son of Man. In Genesis it was a ladder, but here it is Jesus himself. Jesus is the one who has all dominion, all power over all peoples. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. What Jesus is saying here is, you may think it's impressive that I knew what you were doing under the fig tree. But I'm God. I am the Son of Man. And I connect heaven and earth. I am the way to life. That's what Jesus is going to say explicitly later in this gospel. I am the way. Jesus is telling you this today. I know he is because he had John record these words for all eternity to be read in your hearing. Jesus has opened up heaven for you. Jesus is the one seeking you. Jesus seeks you in spite of your sin, in spite of your skepticism, in spite of your self-importance. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. He is the only way to God. He is the only bridge between heaven and earth. So come to him now. Find rest in Jesus. Stop your wandering. Stop your desire for control. Your thoughts of independence. Come to find Jesus and life, and peace. Come and see. Let's pray.